Swift Runner was a smart man, skilled at hunting and trapping, and known to be industrious and trustworthy, earning himself a job as a guide with the Northwest Mounted Police near Fort Saskatchewan. He was an imposing presence, standing at six foot three inches tall, and he was broad and strong. However, Swift Runner's life took an unexpected turn when he was introduced to whiskey. He quickly developed a love for the drink, as well as a reputation as a mean and aggressive drunk. He would routinely go on sprees in the Cree camps, destroying property and picking fights. Some even called him the terror of the whole region when he was drunk. His Cree brethren had little patience for this behavior, and eventually, Swift Runner was ejected from the camps entirely. Upon his departure into the wilderness, Swift Runner took with him his mother, brother, wife, and his six children. As they set off into the growing bitterness of the northern winter, they likely all knew that there were trials ahead of them. But with Swift Runner's hunting skills and a strong family group, they likely also believed that they would all survive the winter. Ten people went into the wilderness that winter, but only one person came back out in the spring. It was during that fateful winter that Swift Runner and his family had encountered a Wendigo. Early in the spring, police began to hear rumors that Swift Runner's family had been killed, but searches in the area did not turn anything up. The police were surprised, however, when the unmistakable frame of Swift Runner walked into the police station, reporting that his wife had died by suicide and the rest of his family had met their ends from starvation. But the police couldn't help but notice that Swift Runner didn't look underfed. In fact, he looked just about as strong and strapping as ever. Suspicious of his story, they set out with Swift Runner to find the camp he had shared with his family over the winter. The police searched for days and eventually came across what was once a campsite. Upon further inspection, it was clear that they had had good reason to be suspicious of Swift Runner's story. The skeletal remains of all nine of Swift Runner's family members were found at the campsite, with many of the bones in neat stacks. The bones were void of any signs of flesh, and some no longer even had marrow left in them. Swift Runner eventually confessed admitting that his eldest son had died of starvation, but to ensure his own survival, he had murdered the rest of the family members, cooking and eating them throughout the winter. He was granted a trial, receiving an interpreter to ensure he fully understood what was happening, and a jury that included Cree tribesmen. 
It goes without saying that he was found guilty. Swift Runner was the first man legally sentenced to execution by hanging in the area. The authorities even had to pay an army pensioner to agree to serve as the hangman. The authorities were so unprepared for a hanging that on the day of the execution, they realized that the scaffolding required repairs. After a few hours, the scaffolding was fixed, and Swift Runner died at the end of the hangman's noose, with one onlooker calling the execution, the prettiest hanging I ever seen. But why would Swift Runner murder his entire family? What would possess someone to do something so wicked? Some say that Swift Runner was just desperate to survive and did what he had to do to make sure he made it out alive. Others, however, say that Swift Runner had become a Wendigo. Among the Algonquian tribes of Canada, the story of the Wendigo is as pervasive as the hostile winters the tribes have faced for over 10,000 years. The Wendigo goes by many names, including Wittigo, Wittigo, and Wittigo, but all translating to something along the lines of the evil spirit that devours mankind. The description of the Wendigo changes from tribe to tribe, with some even debating on what exactly the Wendigo is. But what is not up for debate is the overarching evil associated with the Wendigo, cannibalism. The Ojibwe described the Wendigo as a giant creature, often reaching as tall as a tree. It has sharp teeth and has no lips. The Wendigo devours any human it comes across, and sometimes, if you're particularly unlucky, the Wendigo possesses you, leaving you to see yourself become a Wendigo and devouring everyone you love. The Algonquin believe that the Wendigo has a heart made of ice, with some claiming that the entire being is made of ice. It is skeletal, and it has no lips or toes. In some descriptions, the Wendigo was once human, being turned either by possession or magic. In other descriptions, the Wendigo is a spirit with the ability to possess humans, either temporarily or permanently. Wendigos crave human flesh, but are never able to be satiated. They are gluttonous, feasting on humans, alive and dead. But they are skeletal, with leathery skin pulled taut across their bony frame. They are often depicted as not having lips because their insatiable appetite causes them to chew their own lips off. Wendigos are often accompanied by the stench of rotting flesh. The Wendigo is stealthy and quick, an expert hunter, and is often described as having skills like superhuman hearing, eyesight, and speed, and the ability to walk across deep snow and sometimes even water without sinking. In the 1660s, Jesuit missionaries from France had come to Canada to spread their superior religion of Christian Catholicism 
likely coming grossly underprepared for a harsh northern winter. Unfortunately for them, they also recorded the first eyewitness account by Westerners of Wendigos. They arrived in what is modern-day Quebec to meet with some other men who had come before them. When they found the men, they found them taken by what they called an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They described the men as ravenous for human flesh, likening them to werewolves, and with what they called a greater-than-canine hunger, alleging that the men attacked and attempted to cannibalize any person they encountered. Nothing could appease the men's hunger, with the missionaries declaring that the more the men ate, the more hungry and desperate they became. They were, by all accounts, no longer the men that they had once been. It's unclear if the men were taken by Wendigos due to starvation or some form of psychosis, but the missionaries note that the only cure for this disease was death. And so, the possessed men were killed. The Wendigo carries strong associations with winter, famine, and starvation. It is always malevolent, its only purpose being pain and death. During particularly brutal winters, it was not unheard of for people to turn to cannibalism to survive. Sometimes they were consuming the deceased who may have succumbed to starvation, disease, or the elements. But sometimes people were killing to stay alive, murdering and consuming their own loved ones. Even in the bleakest circumstances, cannibalism remained a morally reprehensible act among the First Nations peoples, and it's likely that the Wendigo was born out of a societal need to explain why people turned to cannibalism and to warn of the dangers of greed and lack of preparation and foresight. Humans are skilled at compartmentalizing and a culture creating a monster to explain the monstrous or illogical behavior of other humans is not unheard of. We like having neat explanations that can not only be passed on, but can serve as a cautionary tale to warn others of the ever-looming presence of evil a reminder that we are never far from it. There are multiple running themes in Wendigo stories, namely cooperation, community, and temperance. People who stayed together within the tribes, sharing resources and caring for each other, were less likely to encounter a Wendigo. And if they did encounter one, they were far more likely to survive the encounter. The Wendigo was often attracted to people who were greedy or who lacked the willingness to be a functional, cooperative member of the tribe or group. There was also an increased risk of encountering a Wendigo when someone lacked restraint and moderation, like in the case of Swift Runner. Many people were able to feel themselves being taken over by a Wendigo, often being treated with traditional shamanic medicine and magic. If these treatments did not cure them, the shamans were often tasked with dispatching the unfortunate person. 
One such shaman was named Zawano Gizhigo Gaba, or colloquially known as Jack Fiddler. Jack Fiddler was an Anishinaabe chief and was in an area that was one of the last to be touched by the laws of colonizers. He claimed to have executed 14 Wendigos in his lifetime. Many had fallen ill, and their families requested Jack Fiddler kill them before they completed their metamorphosis into a Wendigo, while others asked him themselves after they were overcome with an insatiable desire to consume human flesh. Jack Fiddler eventually was arrested and, while awaiting trial, died by suicide. The idea of asking another person to kill you for fear of what you may become is a difficult thing to imagine doing, but it may be representative of a deeper issue. Wendigo psychosis has been described as a culture-bound disorder defined by an unrelenting craving for human flesh and fear of becoming a cannibal. However, this disorder is widely disputed within the medical community and is thought to have originated more from a misunderstanding of cultural customs and beliefs than from an actual issue routinely encountered within the First Nations communities. What isn't contested, however, is that mental illness likely played a part in many tales of Wendigos, with Wendigos being used as an explanation for behaviors that were not fully understood at the time. The Wendigo, like many other indigenous stories and beliefs, has been co-opted by whites and modernized to create something more frightening on the surface. The stories are told as dark and gruesome, the Wendigo made into something animalistic. A quick Google image search brings up dozens of pictures of Wendigos, often represented as some kind of hybrid cryptid walking on two legs with a wolf-like face and large antlers like an elk or a reindeer. The game World of Warcraft has a Wendigo, similar in appearance to a heavyset horned yeti, while the game Borderlands describes its Wendigo as a juiced moose on the loose. As an aside, I always find it fascinating to see indigenous beliefs and creatures represented in pop culture, usually whitewashed almost beyond recognition, while indigenous people remain grossly underrepresented in every conceivable way. But anyway... None of those descriptions really fit with what the First Nations peoples saw in the Wendigo, because what they saw was human, something haunted but taken by greed and selfishness. The cultural appropriation of the Wendigo story even creeps in when discussing how to defeat a Wendigo. Many tribes believed that a Wendigo could be killed with ordinary weapons, while others believed its ice heart had to be cut out and thrown into a fire. Some believed that a Wendigo could be dispatched by a shaman. And then suddenly, a belief arose that a Wendigo had to be killed by being stabbed in the heart with a silver blade. This probably sounds familiar to you, since this matches with themes from European werewolf and vampire stories. You see... 
While white colonizers have always seen the Wendigo simply as a monster, a boogeyman hiding in the forest, what the First Nations peoples took from the monstrous creature was lessons on community, family, and hope. Another winter survived by working together and treating others with kindness and generosity was something to cherish and celebrate. The power of preparedness and hard work was something to respect, a goal for everyone to aspire toward. And while stories like Swift Runners are true and told from a cultural perspective, most indigenous stories about Wendigos have happy endings, with the protagonists escaping the clutches of the Wendigo together. Today, in this world of modernity and comforts, The story of the Wendigo still rings true, a metaphor for the greed inherent in capitalism. The Wendigo has also been used in recent years to represent abuses of indigenous people, such as stripping of rights, assimilative policies in lawmaking, and residential schools. Residential schools were developed by the Canadian government and often run by the Christian church as a means of assimilating Indigenous children into non-Indigenous lifestyles. This involved the government taking children and placing them into schools far away from their families, decreasing the potential for visits and perceived backsliding of progress in assimilation by fraternizing with unassimilated Indigenous people. These schools were poorly regulated and often left children open to physical and sexual abuse while stripping them of all traces of their own cultural heritages and leading to lifelong suffering with issues like PTSD and substance use disorders. The last residential school wasn't closed by the Canadian government until 1996. It wasn't until 2008 that the Canadian government apologized for the pain and suffering from the schools and created the Truth and Reconciliation Commission to uncover the severity and complexity of the damages that children, families, and cultures had suffered through the schools. In 2015, the commission published a report spanning multiple volumes containing testimonies from survivors of the schools and government and school records, with the commission declaring the residential schools a cultural genocide. Canadian residential schools are a perfect example of the fallout from greed, superiority, and colonialism being allowed to run rampant. A government turned Wendigo. If you want more information on Canadian residential schools and how you can help survivors, visit LegacyOfHope.ca. They even have their own podcast at LegacyOfHope.Podbean.com.